Good day. You're listening to Free City Radio. This is the 156th edition of the program. Thanks for being with us. I'm Stefan Christophe in Montreal, Giogiagi. On the program today, we are going to be hearing a conversation that I rec- recorded with Malcolm Guy. Malcolm is a longtime documentary filmmaker who has been exploring the voices of communities around the world that are struggling for justice, economic justice, ecological justice, uh, against war and imperialism. Malcolm's work has had a particular focus on social movement organizing. Uh, There's been a number of beautiful films, one that I really found striking is called Turbulent Waters that documents the efforts of workers on international shipping vessels to fight for labor rights. There's also films that look at social movements in the Philippines and films that touch on community organizing in Canada, including films that touch on the struggles of immigrant communities for justice. Uh, There's a great documentary called Bledi that looks at uh, non-status Algerian refugees who are fighting deportation, um, many others. I also know Malcolm from activism. He has been involved internationally in trying to bridge uh, movements across the world. He's worked with networks like the International League of People Struggles. I had a conversation with Malcolm about the Russian invasion of Ukraine. This is an honest uh, exchange. We are trying to uh, find some uh, points of common ground uh, within progressive networks internationally. Uh, There's a lot of divergence of um, understanding about how to approach the Russian invasion of Ukraine. And we tried to get into some of the complexities of these issues. you know, acknowledging, at least from my end, that it's paramount to, you know, acknowledge and speak to the extreme violence and the war crimes of the Russian state in Ukraine, while also understanding the geopolitical context of um, the conflict between Russia and the United States as expressed through NATO. A lot of layers to this exchange. I think there's some meaningful moments, and it was great to speak with Malcolm uh, for Free City Radio. One of the experiences that I had was uh, going in front of a, you know, military and arms manufacturing plant in Canada, and we're we're in uh, southern Ontario. It looks like a nondescript, essentially, building that you would see in any kind of industrial park, and and yet I knew that they made parts inside it for missiles and other destructive, you know, weapons. And so uh, we were standing there and of course, you know, we were trying to draw attention to the fact, hey, you know, neighbors, do you know that you have a military arms manufacturer in your neighborhood? So maybe you'd like to know that, you know, that uh, you hear about these wars over there, but essentially they start right here in your neighborhood. and. It was, it was linked to uh, uh, General Dynamics. So General Dynamics is a plant in London, Ontario, that's making essentially uh, uh, troop carriers for Saudi Arabia, among other things. They make lots of other things, uh, in, which is one of the largest uh, military agreements that Canada has uh, to supply mi- military material 
and military and Canada uh, has allowed General Dynamics to essentially manufacture. It's you know in the billions, about 14 billion dollars worth of uh, of arms for Saudi Arabia over the next few years, and that's been going on. And I was particularly interested because London is where my brother lives, mm. and the road where and the company where his wife was working at the time was right across the street from General mm. Dynamics. So I had a, a kind of personal connection with that, that here's this huge weapons manufacturer. There are others in London, there are others in southern Ontario uh, like that. Most, most of, many of them branch plants of American manufacturing, mm -hmm. weapons manufacturers, but not all. We've got our own homegrown weapons manufacturers as well, whether it's Bombardier or whatever. But uh, there I was in front of it, and of course, before before very long, the police came along and said, what are you doing here? So <laughs> we explained, you know, we're drawing attention to the fact that this is an arms manufacturer and it's sending billions of dollars worth of arms to Saudi Arabia, which is at war with Yemen at the moment. Perhaps people would like to know that, that this company is doing that and profiting from it. and. I think, you know, that's the type of thing we have to do. We have to bring the war back here. It's uh, it's quite far away sometimes, although we have our own wars closer at hand, of course. You know, the, the war against the indigenous people that's been going on forever, and we use similar arms there. Smaller arms, perhaps, at this point, but uh, they're still manufactured by somebody who's making money. And uh, mm -hmm. yeah, so it was it was a good experience, and we did that several places. We went to General Dynamics. We went to uh, other other plants in the neighborhood which were doing that. Um, General Dynamics is fairly impressive plant. If you could ever go, it's you, you can imagine to ship out that much arms. It takes a you know it's got its own railway line coming into the company, shipping the stuff out. It goes out very uh, discreetly. Uh, they have trouble finding places to ship it out of Canada because sometimes people uh, go to the ports and try to block the uh, export of these things. And so they're, they're now shipping it, from what I understand, sending it to the U.S. and shipping it out there, this kind of thing. So these are the things that are going on in my head. One thing I realized was, um, you know, my father, my father fought in the Second World War. He was uh, a paratrooper in the British Army. British forces, and um, uh, I always remember the story that he told me. Um, he said, I'm a working man, he said, and there I was, I saw this German soldier in my sights, mm. and I said, and I realized that he was probably a working man like me, and um, this was the first time I had ever had someone in my sights like that, uh, he told me. He said, and I'll never forget it because it was a choice. I had to pull the trigger or not. And so he said, in that case, it, it, we were under attack and we weren't going to survive otherwise, so I did. But I never forget that, that in wars it's ordinary people that uh, fight them and die in them. And uh, he used to go to the schools and talk about his experience with the kids. And he would say, uh, and the kids would ask, oh, did you kill anybody? Did you get killed? Uh, you know, kids' questions, you know. 
how many people did you kill? And so he would say, well, you know, I don't know, but it was not something that I enjoyed. And uh, so he was a soldier that, you know, he did what he had to do, and we can say the Second World War, because it was a war at that time against fascism, was important, and maybe there was a just part to it. But still, it's working people, and when I think about the war in Ukraine or Yemen or anywhere else, I think back to what he's saying about who's actually fighting it and who's going to profit from it. You mentioned how war exists in communities. So you're talking about general dynamics in London, Ontario. And um, you said bring the war home. And I found that really interesting in the sense that you have these companies making the actual equipment that is enacting these like very dramatic scenes that are projected on the news and violent, horrible scenes. And they're being made in these quiet places. Um, I'm just wondering if you could expand on that a bit because Canada particularly, there's a lot of locations where you have these nondescript industrial buildings producing arms. Yeah, there were two things that I realized there. I said, there's a lot of money being made here, obviously. They're nondescript, so people don't realize what's going on behind those walls. But at the same time, there's a lot of people that work within those companies. Uh, often these arms companies are quite, uh, quite well-to-do. They're rolling in, go rolling in money, essentially. So uh, they can afford to uh, pay their workers quite well, very well, probably better than the other companies around them in the neighborhood. Often these companies are, the workforce is unionized. It, w it is at General Dynamics, for example. Hmm. Um, so it raises a lot of issues that we have to organize and think about these things. And you can't really do it if you have a essentially a system which doesn't give people a free choice where to go and, and what things to manufacture, etc., and convinces us in a way that these arms are for uh, our benefit, to save the world for democracy, and uh, they're, they're humanitarian. We're going to be assisting the people of Ukraine or wherever it is. Um, so I think it's really, you know, an important issue. The, mm -hmm. we, it goes right down to where you work, what you, what you do, where that produ product or produce is going to be used, um, whether you're earning a good salary for it, uh, whether in, you know the, the town is booming because of this particular... T it, it all goes back to that. Um, so for me, yeah, bringing the war home it to the neighborhood is really crucial because it seems at times so far away. Another thing I wanted to mention was that you know, we're bringing the militarization and the war into the schools once again now. And for me, that's a crucial um, element, is the promotion of, of the military as a way to get your degree, mm -hmm. to go to school, to get a decent job, etc. Uh, and essentially, no, that's not the point of the military. The point of the military is to go and kill people. You know, as my father said many years ago, you know, 
when you come right down to it, that's what it's about, you know. And so I think we have to get the military out of the, of the schools. We have to get the police out of the schools. I was talking to a teacher the other day. The most booming department in their, in their CJEP or college is uh, the police department, you know, where money is piling in there and people are, 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 are learning essentially how to, you know, uh, defend defend the state in which we live and defend the system in which we live. So those are other issues of bringing it back home, revealing where these arms are made, who profits from it, but also that, you know, working people and working communities have to make decisions about that, where they're going to work. And two, to get the, the military and the militaristic ideas out of our schools. Mm. There, There's a lot of media coverage of what's happening in Ukraine in relation to Canada that pushes somehow this idea that an escalation of conflict will somehow solve what's going on. I'm not bringing this point up to say I know the answer, but I see a big distance between the fact that a lot of military companies are making a lot from this war and a lot of the resources that Canada is pledging for Ukraine actually are going to these companies to produce weapons to send to Ukraine. And so the, the profits, a lot of the funds that the Canadian government's directing towards Ukraine are actually going into these military companies. So there seems to be a pretty big distance between that sort of circle and supporting displaced Ukrainian people, which is sort of the language that we hear. Like this is, you know, to support Ukrainian people who have been so deeply affected by the war, displaced towns being shelled or bombed, cities affected deeply, people being forced to leave. I don't understand how supporting these military companies in Canada on the part of the Canadian government is going to directly support Ukrainian refugees. So just any thoughts on that distance? How can we support the Ukrainian people? Mm. Excellent question. By sending more bombs and killing machines to Ukraine? Probably not. Um, probably that's going to lead to further displacement of the Ukrainian people and population. Um, is that going to lead to an eventual Ukrainian victory? Probably not. Uh, or if there is some kind of resolution, military resolution, Ukraine will have been pretty well destroyed in, the, in that conflict. So what's left for the people that are there and for those who've been chased out to come back to? All good questions. For me, I think we have to step back from all of the war propaganda that's going on and look at it from the point of view of what's good for the people of Ukraine, what's good for the people of Russia, what's good for the people of the rest of the world. And obviously what's good is for the war to come to an end and to find some kind of solution which is 
um, you know, beneficial to the people of Ukraine, uh, beneficial to people of Russia, and uh, eventually good for the rest of the world. So I think we have to do that pretty quick, and not by sending arms, but by focusing on possible solutions for peace. And uh, that's going to be the way to stop Ukrainians leaving. It's going to stop it's, uh, Ukrainians dying. It's going to stop Russians dying. And it's going to perhaps not lead to escalation and a possible conflagration, not only in the area, but eventually the use of uh, nuclear weapons, be they tactical or otherwise. And if Ukraine wins, what's next? You know, then we go in, then NATO goes into Russia, NATO goes into China. When's it stop? You know, uh, it seems to me that that's probably the ultimate aim of the weapons manufacturers and those who are uh, giving them the money. If you want, essentially, it's control of the resources of eventually Russia, control of China. I mean, we're talking about big picture here, but I mean, you know, we're in a dangerous period right now, and uh, for me, yeah, we have to look for solutions. I'm not pro-Ukrainian, not pro-Russian, I'm not pro-NATO, I'm pro-people of those countries we just mentioned. Uh, and so therefore, uh, I think we have to get rid of the idea that, um, you know, we have to be anti-Russian, anti-Chinese, uh, whatever it is in the present situation and come back to the basic humanity of it that um, we have to see through this, you know, the smoke of war for what it really is and find a just solution to it. It won't be perfect. No, no peace is perfect, uh, but it's a lot better than the war that's underway. There often seems to be a disconnect between um, this idea that you can acknowledge and talk about and give focus to uh, Russian war crimes the, of the Russian military and also understand that um, there is um, a system of violence on the part of NATO that is also deeply involved in this conflict, right? Like the challenge we're facing is like it seems that the proposal is that there's a military solution for what's going on. And I, and then that sort of cloaks this, this fact that we were talking about before that all these military companies are making billions off of this war. So I just want to sort of circle back to, to this point because I think it's an important piece of the sort of political and economic infrastructure of what's going on that's not getting focus. The weapons companies are making a bundle out of the war, that's clear. But the weapons companies are not 
the only ones behind the war. There's a whole systemic reason for the war. Essentially, we have a, a, the United States of America, which was, you know, after the fall of the Soviet Union and so on, became the number one power in the world. Um, it's now globally in, de in decline um, and is looking to maintain its place in the world with a little help from Canada, its other NATO allies and various other, other uh, hangers-on who also profit from that kind of US-led uh, imperialist system. Um, you know, so I think, yes, we need to put pressure on the arms companies, but we need to put pressure on the governments that essentially arrange f for their arms to be sent, uh, that do the propaganda that, um, that, that leads people to support or to believe that uh, making war in this instance is, a, is the way to go. So we have to confront the media, which has fallen into line blindly in terms of, of this war. We have to put in, we have to uh, question the whole uh, uh, economic system in which we live, which allows this profit-making industry, war industry and others to to exist, we have to question the whole ideological reasons that are given that we're, we make war to save the planet for democracy and women and uh, children, uh, all of that bullshit. Um, you know, I think we have to come back to the basic fact that uh, this war uh, came about because NATO and the US pushed up to the borders of Russia, pushed into, arranged with Ukraine, uh, the, uh, certain elements within Ukraine, to push again up to the borders of Russia, to encircle it, uh, until, yeah, there was a reaction. I don't agree with that reaction, but mm -hmm. I understand it. Because uh, when was it going to stop? They lied about they lied about the fact they weren't going to, uh, uh, you know, increase the size of NATO when when the Soviet Union fell. Uh, they lied. They've lied everywhere. You know, every step of the game, they've been pushing, 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 pushing up against the border of uh, of Russia. In the same way, they're starting to push and push and push against the borders of China as well. Um, you know, when does it stop? Well, now they pushed hard enough. There's now a reaction from another capitalist country, Russia. And now we're in a pretty dire situation. And yeah, the, the, the weapons companies are making a bundle out of it. But there was a series of political decisions that were made along the way that led us there. And we have to question those and we have to put them into doubt and step back and say, you know, how did this war get started? What happened? How can we put an end to it? And weapons, of course, is not the way.
Free City Radio airs um, once a week on a number of campus and community stations across Canada. It airs on CKUT 90.3 FM in Montreal on Wednesdays at 11 a.m. on CGLO 1690 a.m. also in Giagiage, Montreal on Tuesdays at 1 p.m. on CKUW uh, 95.9 FM in Winnipeg, Treaty 1 territory of the Métis Nation at uh, 8 a.m. on Tuesdays on CFRC at 11.30 a.m. on Wednesdays. That's 101.9 FM in Kingston, Ontario, and on CFUV 101.9 FM in Victoria, British Columbia, on Wednesdays at 9 a.m. Our archives are at soundcloud.com slash freecityradio, and we also have um, our program through podcasting. Uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, look us up. Thanks so much for tuning in and I'll speak to you next week. Take care.